everybody. Welcome to the USL show brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Thank you for joining us today. We have a very special episode. In just a moment, you'll hear me talking to USL President Jake Edwards, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, we need to get some things out of the way, and that is that we are sponsored by Soccer Loco, and you can find their gear at Soccer Gear for Men, Women, and Children at SoccerLoco.com. But if you'd like to sponsor us or help us out in any way, you can go to our website at theuslshow.com and click on the banner for Soccer Loco there, and then we will get a little bit of whatever you purchase. Uh, So we both win in that way. Uh, So please do that. Also, if you'd like to support us in another way um, by getting a sticker or being on the show or having us mention you on the show and answering your questions, please go to patreon.com slash theuslshow and support us in that way. I have nothing else to say except thank you to the Beautiful Game Network. Thank you to Mike Sparks and all the other guys who sent in questions to help with this. And uh, Mike does so much behind the scenes on top of that. So special thanks to him for everything he does. He's the founder of the network. And uh, you guys have no idea how much he does do uh, behind the scenes there. So that's all from me. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with USL President Jake Edwards. All right, welcome to the show. I am at USL headquarters, United Soccer League, as you probably know if you're listening to this, and I am with the United Soccer League president, Jake Edwards. Thank you, sir, for joining me. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, and I'm glad you could uh, be here. Me too. Live from the uh, HQ in Tampa. And uh, where it's warm. It's uh, icy in St. Louis right now. I've very much enjoyed myself, so... Um, thank you for having me up here. Um, let's jump right in. I know you don't have a ton of time today, and so uh, let's just start with uh, the USL and, and where you, when you took over as president, uh, where it was, and, and to now. Uh, this is your opportunity. Tell us all about uh, how it's changed. It's changed a lot in those years. It's changed remarkably uh, over the um, uh, last few years uh, when Alec uh, and his partner uh, acquired the league back in 2010. Uh, you know, set about a, uh, uh, a real shift in culture at the league office and, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, what kind of a league did we want to build, you know, at that time. And there was some, uh, it's pretty tumultuous time um, for the USL then. And so a lot of teams were uh, sort of fragmenting off. And, and so there were some challenges there for, the, for them to deal with. Uh, they set about uh, changing the culture internally uh, and across the league. I came on board um, shortly after in 2013 as uh, as then vice president uh, in a new role that hadn't uh, uh, that sort of didn't uh, exist. And the remit for me then was to look at what's the strategic growth plan for the league over the next 10 years. What are those key initiatives we need to be thinking about and working on if we really want to be um, uh, a great league, you know, and want to achieve. Um, uh, the growth uh, and the status and the quality and all of those things that we've been working on and still need to work on for the for the foreseeable future. Um, so as we looked at expansion and stadium quality and player quality and ownership quality, uh, investments into broadcast and the commercial program and uh, all those things you, you need to have if you're a legitimate league. And so how do you go about that when in in uh, sort of 2013 we had 10 clubs? Yeah. Now we've you know we've tripled that and we've got very different owners and nice stadiums and all of these things are starting to happen, national footprint on broadcast and what have you with ESPN. So uh, it's been it's been a lot of work collectively, you know, across all the teams. 
Uh, we've got some great owners, great executives, uh, great coaches and players and staff at all the clubs. And uh, they've done a phenomenal job of growing the game in those local uh, communities. Uh, when I started here, we had about 15 staff at the league office. We're uh, pushing 60 now. We've got about 18 different service departments now. And we are not just a league. You know, we're a service organization, servicing the needs of the teams, trying to help them all the time to get better uh, on and off the field. And we're a content producer as well. And we've got to look at ourselves as a digital content producer. Uh, and we're getting great quality. Uh, it's the fastest growth area in the league office now when I'm hiring about 15 people over the last year in content production, mm. um, digital, social, video, editors, and so forth. So I think the fans are seeing a big shift, uh, an improvement on that side of what we do. Uh, and that will continue. So, you know, here at the league office and across the league at all the clubs has been a, 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 an amazing amount of growth uh, over the last few years. And, and that will uh, that will continue. So it's pretty exciting to be in the game and in USL at this during this period. Without a doubt, what has made USL so successful? You know, it had its challenges, started with 10 teams, you know, when you came aboard at least and uh, dropped down a, a tier and now look at you. So what has made you so successful? Uh, I think it's, at the root of it, it's having a, a strategic plan that was sound and executing upon that. Uh, and I think for the most part, everything in the plan that we put together, we called it Destination 2020, we've been able to execute upon that. Um, and I think first and foremost, it starts with creating a, uh, a sustainable business model for a club and for the league. You know, it was not too long ago, it was a bit of the Wild West, boom and bust, clubs would come and go. And we had to correct that and stabilize that. Mm. So I think a sound business model from our point of view, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's factored on two things. The quality of the people we have here at the league office that I get to work with every day um, that... Uh, push our teams all the times when it comes to minimum standards and, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the things we do here to, to service the clubs. Uh, and then at the club level, really it's about getting the right owners behind the clubs. <clears throat> We've been able to assemble a, you know, a world-class ownership group and, and the kind of owners that are absolutely committed to those teams and the communities and making the right investment into the team from top to bottom and into the facilities. And, and, and having that as a, as a base has enabled us to um, answer that stability question and uh, you know we're trying and we've still got work to do there and getting all the teams on a really stable footing but these teams need to be there for the foreseeable future for decades to come so once you've got the infrastructure in place at the club and at the league office uh, then we can start moving forward in terms of uh, other areas of the business that drive value uh, and you're seeing a huge amount of investment now coming into uh, into USL clubs um, you know, and, uh, and and I think people are seeing the um, the growth there over the last few years uh, in value of these of these clubs, uh, in revenue opportunities, uh, in in the massive growth in attendance and support of the clubs, and so they're really viable businesses now. And I think once you get them to that stage, um, then you can get the owners to continue to invest in the club into all those other areas that we need in the academies and in the in the facilities and in the fan engagement opportunities and what have you. So, and then it starts to feed itself. You know, it, it kind of builds on itself then, and then we get more exposure with the with the work we're doing around the media and some of these other key initiatives. So, I think uh, it's maybe not one thing that's made it so successful, but I think starting with that sort of stability and then building upon that with the right owners and having a plan in place that we could execute uh, has kind of fed itself. You know, and it's kind of uh, 
uh, you know, at the league office, the growth has been significant and I would say uh, in line with what we anticipated, but perhaps a little quicker uh, than we thought. But it's just mm. about managing the growth and keeping the, you know, keeping the, to- uh, the the league and the clubs all moving in the same direction. Definitely, and um, we've seen that that growth, and, and you're branching out into a new endeavor with USL Division Three. Um, tell me a little bit about that. You know, you just announced Tormenta FC and FC Tucson. Um, what is? Tell me a little bit about what you see happening in, in 2019. Yeah, this is really exciting. So we're launching this in 2019. We've actually been working on this for the better part of two and a half years now, um, getting ready for this. Once we committed to all the work that was going to be involved in moving the USL from Division Three to Division Two, there was always going to be a uh, a gap there that we wanted to fill. And so it was always intention to launch a Division Three uh, league uh, and do so in the same way. And everything we've learned from the USL experience, um, positive and negative, gave us a chance to sort of um, address that in the launch of this new league, uh, and um, and we wanted to go about this for a number of reasons. But ultimately, it's about delivering professional football to cities across the country that don't have access to it, to fans that don't have access to it on the doorstep, to young kids that don't have the ability to see a professional player. It doesn't matter the level, playing in their community, and that initial touch point is is uh, just don't underestimate the effect that has on people's relationship with the game for the rest of their lives and when you see that as a sort of five six seven year old kid and you see these players these heroes then that shows you there's a pathway to uh the sport professionally whether it's a player or as an ex- as an executive or an owner or volunteer or whatever uh, and so um, there's so many fans in this country that just don't have that touch point in their community and so they have to travel or they have to watch it on tv and there are so many cities that we know uh, will certainly support a professional team. Uh, so it's you know it's uh, there's a limited growth uh, ahead for MLS as well as us for Division Two, and so Division Three was a was a great opportunity. Um, you know and we want to do it in the right way. We want to take that responsibility extremely seriously. That when we go into these communities, we do so with the right owners, with the right business plan, with the right stadium, and ultimately with the quality on the field. And I think Tormenta. Um, who have been a tremendous group in the PDL, good organization, uh, strong fan base, uh, was I- the ideal club to make the initial uh, move up uh, and be the inaugural club uh, in Division Three, And they're committing um, serious money to build a what will be a phenomenal stadium and a great little mixed-use facility to showcase the, uh, the club there. Follow that with Tucson, and there's going to be a number of announcements now uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, as more teams are, are announced and and and, and get to start, uh, you know, we start putting all the pieces in place. So it's a lot of work. You know, we've taken another four thousand square feet here at the league office, mm-hmm. uh, where we're going to be running uh, the third division out of, and and there'll be some staff members that will cross over, and we're going to be hiring a whole bunch of new folks here to to manage that property and uh, and just do so in the in the same way in a successful way. So we're very excited about that. I am too, to be honest with you. Um, and I talked to uh, Dan Agner, uh, the GM for the Real Monarchs, a few days ago, and he talked about his new facility out there that's opening up this year. Um, a really cool facility. I feel like they did a really good job planning that and building it up. Um, but you're almost seeing a line drawn uh, between uh, teams that are, like, especially two sides, you know, teams that are looking to build the USL program, um, and then some that maybe are wanting to hang back. I imagine D3 might be a good place. For those people, um, I was—I've been curious for a while, 
and it's perfect to bring this up with you here to shut me down if I'm wrong, but it almost seems like the NASL business maybe pushed the deadline a little bit further or sooner perhaps for, for Tier 2 and, and Division 2 regulations and Pro League regulations, I think, is more specific there. Um, so, you know, did that happen a little sooner than we intended or... It was always our intent uh, to launch the Division Three in '19, and you know, as I said, you know, if you're talking about the the sort of process of moving to Division Two and the standards and and, and that whole um, saga, uh, I mean, that was that was actually a lot longer than we anticipated. Um, didn't really happen sooner. We'd, you know, in terms of the Division Two piece, we'd notified our owners and discussed that with our owners in 2014, and we notified in January 2015 to the federation. Now it wasn't until 17 we're provisional and 18 fully sanctioned. So that was uh, a lot of time and effort and work mm -hmm. uh, to get there, and you know, challenging at times. Uh, and but it had to be. It had to be a rigorous process because if you're going to have standards and you're going to meet them, you're going to have to put the time and effort in to do so. And so. Uh, we accepted that. Uh, that was our how, how we wanted to go about it, um, you know. But the Division Three, you know, we're going through that process now. We're working with the Federation on sanctioning timelines this year ahead of next year. Uh, so it was always intent to launch this uh, this league uh, here in 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 2019, despite sort of macro events and what's been going on in the landscape of the game. We've, you know, we've 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 had to stay focused on those timelines. On the same wavelength, how about two sides and hybrid teams that have developed? Uh, with Division Three, they have a place they can go if they choose. Do you foresee any any changes yeah. there, or, do, or a preference there, even? So the plan for Division Three is to build it uh, with a with with you know independent teams, new teams joining the league, uh, and uh, that's going to be the backbone of the league. Uh, what's been interesting, uh, you know, we initially were contemplating launching the league on a regional basis. We had a lot of interest in the mm -hmm. southeast, uh, uh, primarily, and then moving into sort of the central and the northeast. But um, with the vision of a national league, maybe in the year or two after. But we've had so much interest from quality groups now in, in California, in the West, uh, and those announcements are going to start coming. That uh, we are now on track to just launch the league right away, fully national league, probably with an east and a west conference, which is exciting. Um, Again, we're not rushing. We want to make sure we do that with the right groups. Again, it has to be sustainable, but we have uh, the right groups in place. Now, that's the foundation of the league. Uh, we have teams, um, as, you, as you relate to the MLS second teams, the nine of those teams that are playing in the USL currently and other MLS teams not uh, currently uh, running their own second team, perhaps in an affiliation model, who are looking at uh, having their own squad, whether that is owning and operating and running the business operations as well as the football operations or just as a hybrid mm -hmm. affiliation like we've seen in Houston and, uh, and and San Jose and that makes sense for them uh, and some on a standard affiliation so really the partnership is about options that make sense um, and uh, there are a number of MLS teams that are looking now at the third division because mm -hmm. it may make more sense for them whether that's from a business operations point of view or from a uh, football development point of philosophy and so I, I can uh, I mean, we met actually with MLS league office yesterday about this uh, again so we're kind of working uh, hand in hand and with all those clubs so yeah I th you, you may see some of those clubs uh, look at this in, in third division I think that's you know that's that's the right environment to be in sounds like it's up to them which sounds great um, let's talk I'm gonna get murdered if I don't bring this up pro rel <laughs> do you think that's a dream is that, or is that more of a plan how do you see it? 
it's not a dream. Um, I, I would say that it's the natural question once you have, once you're in control of two divisions, mm -hmm. you know, then you have the ability to do that. And you've done it before. Um, yeah, and so, so we've. The key really for us as we look at this is, is building uh, a third division that is stable, uh, that has quality clubs and good facilities. Uh, and, um, and and that's our focus. And then populating that uh, and building the calendar and what have you. And so ultimately I think it will kind of mirror the second division in terms of the layout of teams, the conference structure, the length of season, number of games. Uh, but it won't in in its early in its infancy. So, uh, it, but it won't be long until it does. Uh, beyond that, then it's it's something we can look at, you know. And we've we have been looking at that, and we will work with everybody involved in the USL ecosystem to see if this is something that that makes sense. What we're looking at, firstly, is as a precursor, is an interleague cup. Um, obviously, there's an open cup here, but it's not too dissimilar to many countries that have a football league cup or the professional league cup. And so, this is something we're looking at. We're already talking to uh, commercial partners, naming rights partners, uh, broadcast partners about this. We are modeling out that, or have modeled out that structure of, of, of how we would work through group phases and knockout rounds and what have you. And so, that I think could be a great first step. And, and it's something that I think is quite exciting. We're seeing actually a lot of our USL teams now, uh, Division 2 teams, wanting to play more cross-conference games and get to experience the um, some of the teams on the other side of the country that they might not ordinarily do so unless they meet in the finals. And, and so um, the cup competition could afford us that ability. Um, we're looking at maybe, does it make sense to look at um, international groups coming into this competition as well? So we're modeling everything out, but I think as an interleague cup, um, uh, we're working to try and launch this for... 19 is ambitious, 20 definite, and we're modeling that out over the next month or two. So that would be probably the precursor. That's very cool. Yeah. A lot of really interesting possibilities there. Um, I'm really curious, too, um, you mentioned different naming rights and things like that. My first clue of this was when um, it was released. I don't know if this is true or not. The, the four patents that you got for the different division names, perhaps, uh, that USL claimed. Um, and then the possible announcing of maybe putting a USL team in Chicago downtown on the north side. And so you just start to wonder, these are two kind of, there's four different tiers perhaps that you could claim in USL and perhaps moving into an MLS territory almost in Chicago. Is USL, MLS close friends or you know keeping your enemies closer to a certain degree? Uh, could you see a split in, in the cooperation at some point? I know I'm perhaps creating a narrative here, but what better place to do that than right in front of you? <laughs> Conspiracy theory. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, no, look, we've, we've, they've been a big part of our lives and we have of theirs and, and uh, we've both grown uh, significantly and successfully over the last few years, but we've worked together as, as, as good partners. Uh, we had a phenomenal meeting with, uh, with all of the senior leadership at MLS yesterday here in Tampa. They came down to work on some of the next phase of the partnership and some of the things we're going to be working on, very exciting things. So we've got a lot of work to do and hopefully soon we'll have some really good announcements to make. But um, again, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's, uh, it's a great example of two professional leagues who are, um, you know, focused on improving the game and improving the quality of the players and improving the opportunities for players. Uh, and rather than doing that in isolation, uh, doing that together. 
you know, and I think if you've got two leagues and ultimately three divisions working together, um, the network you can create from the youth to the pro level, the spider web is, uh, and the scouting opportunity and, and all of those things that the, 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 you know, it's only going to be good for the game and we're going to get the right players to the, to the right level. And we shouldn't be doing all of that stuff in isolation. We mm-hmm. should be working together, which we are. So, you know, as I said, we're, we're pushing forward together. We're working on some exciting initiatives. Um, you know, and it's been, it has been very good to work, to, to work with them. And uh, our experience and their experience and their team's experience has been a very positive one. Wonderful. Um, you just got a new president in U.S. soccer. And I really, while I was here, wanted to uh, see what your relationship with Gulati was like, Sunil Gulati. And um, Carlos Cadero is going to take over. And so tell me about Gulati and, and tell me about what, it, what your relationship will be with Cordero. Yeah, we've had a good relationship with Sunil. I mean, he is uh, uh, he's an extremely intelligent man. Um, it's, it's, uh, he's a great thinker. He's a very strategic thinker. He's always one step ahead of everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've worked with him for obviously quite a few years now. Um, through some uh, some some challenging times, right, and, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's navigated the sport as a whole through those times, and um, you know I've enjoyed watching this election, um, and uh, it's been interesting to see the, the the sort of platforms that the the manifestos that the different characters uh, have run on, um, the different uh, uh, you know candidates have run on, but. I think what what ha- the shame of it for me, and I would say what's what's been missed a little bit um, is the I think the appreciation and respect for what has happened over the last few years mm-hmm. from a bigger picture point of view. There are things you can nitpick, of course, one being the team's performance in the final game in Trinidad, and other things you could hang your hat on that you you can take issue with. But I think ultimately, what gets missed is the leadership and the work that Sunil, the entire Federation board, all the staff at the Federation, some phenomenal people at the Federation there. Uh, we work with them daily, I know that. Um, and the commitment and hard work over the past 20, 30 years, you know, to get the game to where it is now. And it's very easy, I think, to analyze where you are now and just accept that as the norm and then critique things from there. I think we got to look back at the body of work that Sunil and, his, and, 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 the, and all of those folks have put in where the game is now, from where it was sort of two decades ago, prior to, you know, I, I was I was you know going into university here at that time, prior to the launch of MLS, you know, and, and then having the World Cup here, and you think, you know, MLS almost didn't make it at one one point, couple of points, and you know, professional soccer was the Wild West, and I mean, it was you know, so where we are now with the facilities and the game and the value and the fact that we're um, up in arms because we're not in the World Cup. It just mm-hmm. shows you how far we've come. So I think there's a, there's a lot of respect for Sunil and what what and his you know his team at the federation and what they've achieved. Um, I think Carlos. Obviously, this change this 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 election was run on a sort of change um, uh, basis. We need change, you know, and that's what all the candidates were saying. So it was interesting to see their version of that and what change looks like and. And who's well equipped to execute on that? Now, I think Carlos is somebody that uh, is a very intelligent man. He's had a phenomenal career. Uh, he's worked in, in the highest levels uh, of his uh, financial industry, and so he's been involved in FIFA on the committee. He's got intimate knowledge of how FIFA and the game and 
U.S. soccer and the federation, how everything runs. And so I think, um, but, he, but he has his ideas. He's his own man. He's got his ideas of what needs to change. So it'll be interesting as he starts to put his new cabinet together around him and, his, and he starts thinking about how he executes on his plan. But I think um, changes are needed, but I don't think you blow it up. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's what you get with Carlos. You know, he's not going to go in there day one and blow everything up. And I don't think that's needed. So I think he's, uh, he's um, you know, I think he's going to do a, a good job. We're looking forward to work with, working with him. He's got a big year ahead, you know, starting today with committee meetings around the, the uh, you know, the World Cup uh, and the bid uh, and the uh, the vote that's coming up soon. So that's going to be the primary thing he needs to be focused on right now. We need to get behind that. Uh, but, yeah, we look forward to working with Carlos. You mentioned uh, people being up in arms and how that's almost a good sign for soccer, uh, how much people care. Um, I totally agree with you on that. And uh, something just happened that made all of USL go crazy in a way. And uh, Tommy Heineman um, has been released uh, by FC Cincinnati. Uh, wanted to see, um, perhaps, I know you can't comment a lot on it, but I'll leave that open to you to tell me um, where the league stands on that at this point at least. Yeah, that's fine. I can't comment too much, as you said. We're coming. We're in the process right now, uh, but there's a you know a contract dispute resolution process we're going through, uh, and that goes both ways. Uh, and so you know we each party makes their case, mm-hmm. and then each party has a chance to respond to that, and then we will review that, and ultimately the league will make its ruling uh, one way or another. Um, you know, it's a uh, uh, it's it's something that doesn't happen that often for us, but our our uh, but that's our role to mediate this. And uh, you know our contracts um, follow the letter of the law from FIFA. All, we follow FIFA guidelines on that. Ultimately, our players are all employees of those individual clubs, so it's it's really for them to work it out between them, and we'll come in and mediate as needed um, into interpreting the. Uh, those uh, those uh, contracts. Um, there is language in the contracts per FIFA um, that protect players and protect clubs. Mm. You know, and so each party has responsibilities, and we have to look at each case and determine whether or not um, you know one party is in the right or one's in the wrong. You yeah. know, and, and and each party's interpreting it in in their way, and we've got to ultimately decide and rule uh, which way. You know, uh, so it's these aren't pleasant things to have to deal with, you know. But uh, you know, we're in that process right now, and uh, mm-hmm. I would anticipate in the next couple of days we'll have some resolution to that. Uh, I'm going to list a few quandaries, and you can comment on those. And so, uh, part of me wonders: is is this part of perhaps USL growing pains? You're getting bigger, bigger contracts, bigger pay, uh, higher pay rather. And uh, you know, is this part of you know, are you looking at perhaps is the language in the USL guidelines, is that something that needs to get more specific or um, is raising up your clubs and helping your clubs be more careful with their contract being drawn up or how they um, go through the contract process? Is, is anything there that you're going to try to look into to, to improve or make better or do you think it's pretty good as it is? Well, you can always improve your processes, whatever they are. Uh, and we have a, a compliance department here, have a full-time compliance officer whose job really is to 
uh, oversee all the contracts in terms of having some eyes on to make sure the clubs are doing everything they're supposed to be doing mm -hmm. um, and to be a first point for the agents and the players to come to if they've got any questions about it. Um, we register the players, we, we, we work with the Federation, with FIFA on the international players, um, but that's sort of the extent of it. We have a contract that's standardized contract. Every player, every team works off the same contract. Mm. The rights uh, for both the club uh, and the players are extremely clearly articulated in there per guidelines set forth by FIFA. Um, and we follow that to the letter of the law. Uh, again, we stop at the registration process and, 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 and some oversight. They're ultimately employees of the club. And so if there are some additional amendments um, that are added to contracts in terms of bonuses or certain pay structures and things, uh, we will, it will come to us for review, but that's between the players and the clubs. Um, if there are uh, disputes between between the two, then ultimately, and they can't resolve it, we encourage them to resolve these disputes uh, in a mutually beneficial way. If they can't do that, it's going to come to us, and we have a, uh, an, a review panel process that's going to go it's going to go through that. So, as we look at you know uh, processes specific to the players and the clubs and contracts, yeah, we look at it every year to see what are the best practices out there and what's what are other leagues doing. But ultimately. You know, FIFA, IFAB, the governing body, that's the, that's the highest sort of level you need to go to, really. And so mm -hmm. we try to follow what, you know, you know, what, you know that's, that's the standard. And so, we, you know, again, we don't need to add all these other things in there in our mind beyond that. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that should be good enough. Um, and then, as needed, we'll step in to try and mediate any, any particular disputes. So that's that's why you're here. Um, one more question on that, and that is, and you can't comment on you know how people are compensated uh, on the contractual level between club and player. But do you see as this club grows and and um, not the club, the league grows and, and gets bigger and bigger and higher pay like this keeps happening? Uh, do you see player pay in general rising and, and perhaps health insurance and how the players are taken care of? Do you worry or think it could be necessary to have a player union? What do you think about all of that? Well, I think it's just natural as leagues evolve. I mean, we're you know what are we now five years kind of you know six years into this in in in, in effect really. So as leagues evolve um, and the game evolves in this country, uh, then all those things are sort of you know they follow on. And it's always been our vision that um, uh, players uh, need to be able to. Uh, and not just players, players and executives and, and staff and everything, uh, need to be able to make a living in the game outside of the top division. You know, And that's the case. I played in the Football League for many years, and, and, um, and it's in the, in, 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 you know, in the UK, for example. And if, you're not, if you're not in the Premier League, you can still have a good living in the Championship, League One, League Two, and you can uh, you pay your mortgage and have a family and do all those mm -hmm. things. Right? And so it's important that that's what we build over here. It takes time. Now, you can shoot for the stars right away, miss, and before you know it, your club's gone bankrupt. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen that. Yes. We still see it. And, and that's not the right model. And so we've got to do this and grow this in the, in, in the right way. Now, a few years ago, all of the teams, I would say, or the vast majority of teams and contracts in our league were just for the season. And then when the season ended, it was over. I can go back to the old days in the A-League in 02 when I came over from England and played in Charleston Battery. Once that season ended, that was it. And all the mm -hmm. players had to go and play indoor soccer then at right. that time. Some of them made more money indoor than they did outdoor. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and that was just part of the course, or you went coaching somewhere, or what have you. Um, yes, we've evolved from that, and we need to continue to evolve now. Uh, uh, the vast majority of our, uh, all the contracts now are year contracts with one or two year options. You know, um, we're seeing a number of players now signing two and three year guaranteed contracts. All mm. the contracts are guaranteed. Uh, I should say that, but um, the guaranteed contracts with with options. But um, many teams are now doing two and three year guaranteed, uh, and and you have to because we spend a lot of time with our owners now on uh, the football business not just the commercial business of the club. Uh, and you have to start thinking about what, what is the football business here? What, what is the value of my team? And how do I think about this business over a few-year period? Now, when you're signing players, we have some players in the league now that have played in the Premier League, in the German Bundesliga, in MLS and what have you. These are quality players and they cost money. Uh, we'd like to see more of those players coming into the league. Um, so as we improve facilities and you know player conditions and all these things that we have to keep doing, we're going to continue to attract more and more of those players into our into our uh, into our league, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, and so we have to start looking at the players and the value of the players. You know, we track the player valuations now; um, they're significant. You know, average valuations of USL players are going up every year, and so the owners is thinking like that now. These are these are not you know these are these are you know uh, great players. They're a big part of the business and they're assets as well, and they need to be um, looked after and treated accordingly. Uh, so the contract lengths are getting longer and longer, um, and that's again something we're looking at every year, uh, you know, and uh, to see if there are areas to improve upon, you know. Um, so we'll continue to look at that. Yeah. Um, that's those are the hard questions. Yeah. Uh, do we have a couple, like two, three minutes for some more fun ones? Okay. Um, so I'm curious. After talking to you now, did you go to business school or go to university for for business? It seems very obvious that you have. Honestly, I did. I oh, great. Is that a good thing? Do I look like that? Is something? <laughs> it's not your looks. It's definitely it's what you talk about and the way you speak about business. It's my lack of hair. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I did my undergrad uh, in in. Um, in Virginia at James Madison University back in the early uh, yeah mid nineties, um, and then after I uh, finished playing football, I played football in England for about uh, eleven years, and then full time after that I went back to business school to uh, Warwick University and Warwick Business School. Um, it's, it's a very good business school, general MBA, and um, you know when I was looking to come out of my playing career, I. Had started on my coaching licenses and, and I was sort of looking at that, but I actually wanted sort of a change from the cadence of you know playing football every week and a weekend and mm. uh, giving my wife a break from you know actually she could have a life on a weekend now you know and so yeah. I, I was looking for something a little bit different, but I wanted to stay in the game. My last two years when I was playing, I actually um, and shadowed some of the de- different departments at some of the clubs because. And this is something I talk with a lot with the players about when they come here to chat with us about life after football. You know, you're training in the morning, you're done by late afternoon, you have your lunch at the club and then you go home. It's mm-hmm. two o'clock and you're at home. You know, you get wrapped up in the life of being a footballer and you think that's sort of okay and you go home, you put your feet up and a lot of the lads are playing video games and watching movies and hanging out. A lot of the lads are going out and doing community service and doing really impactful things as well. And you need downtime. But it soon comes and goes, you know, and when you're playing football, you think it lasts forever. And then you're soon approaching 30, you know, what's next? And so, um, well, I actually got very interested in the business side while I was still playing. And so I'd go and shadow a marketing director at one club and maybe the commercial director at another club and just sort of seeing what, what, what goes on, at, uh, you know, at that side of the business. 
And then when I came to the end of my playing career, uh, it was clear to me, certainly in England anyway, and you'd, you'd think in England there's, there would be kind of a, a res- some sort of respect and, and, and uh, admiration from people who played professional football. The, the, op- the opposite is, is actually the mm. case in England. Um, and so as much as people love the game and, and like you when you're playing the game, they have no idea what to do with you after the game. And it's just this... And so you come out there in the workforce and people are thinking, you've just spent 12 years of your life running around outside. Mm. What on earth are you going to do in this office environment? Or what are you going to, you know? So the doors aren't open, really. And so the PFA in England, the, the, the football union, do a fantastic job about preparing players for giving them opportunities for after. That's something we're going to be launching this year, a couple of new initiatives for players uh, to get into, broadcast, uh, coaching, and a number of other things after, uh, life after football. So that's important. Uh, for me, I felt the NBA was a, uh, uh, it was something some, some friends of mine had gone through, and I felt it was probably something that would open some doors, give a level of credibility uh, as you try to step through those doors into a new industry, and give you a chance to, um, for me at least, to, to get an appreciation of um, other other things out there, you know, um, the finance industry or the uh, you know marketing roles or you mm-hmm. know. So for me, you know, it was it was an intensive. It was a one year full time program, and I was there with a bunch of uh, colleagues from a whole range of industries, and I loved it. You know, I absolutely loved it. I loved the corporate finance. I loved the marketing. I loved the stra- my favorite was the strategy sessions. I loved the strategy and. Mm-hmm. And from there, I ended up uh, doing my uh, management consultancy project or the thesis with a company called Octagon, which is a big U.S. sports marketing, sports sponsorship consultancy. Uh, and I worked in their London office on uh, on some projects in football. And then they were running the MasterCard account for um, the Champions League and some of the major golf tournaments. So I got involved in their consulting division, their sort of uh, strategy division. We worked in India, the Middle East. Um, setting up leagues, funnily enough, uh, sort of precursor, wasn't it? Setting up <laughs> leagues. Uh, yeah, we were trying to do a professional cricket league in the Middle East and a, b- a number of other things. Learned so much and got to work with some amazing people. Um, and then life brought me back to the US. Uh, and then I was really looking for an opportunity to directly back in football, which uh, a mutual contact, uh, mutual friend of Alec, Alec and mine had introduced me to Alec and the guys at Orlando City at the time in 2013. And then that's how I began the relationship with Alec. But um, so yeah, so that's my sort of business school story. But um, <laughs> it was it certainly in my mind helped. You know, it certainly helped make the transition from uh, if you you know two very different sort of areas of ultimately the same industry. Uh, it sounds like you landed perfectly based on where your life experiences. Um, maybe some quick fire questions we'll do here. What is the what are the best leagues in the world, and what's your favorite? It's uh, a good question. I, th- I mean, my favourite—it's uh, obviously boring answer would be the Premier League. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I was born in Manchester, grew up going to watch Manchester United in the, uh, you know, in the mid '80s when you're standing in the terraces there watching mm. them lose to Liverpool, uh, <laughs> and uh, that was my team. And uh, so I've always, I've always followed the, 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 obviously playing in the lower leagues. So I've always followed the, the Premier League. I think it's probably the most exciting league to watch not always the best football but most mm. exciting uh, I think it's presented it probably the best way I think the production of the broadcast is phenomenal it's exciting to watch um, clearly some some great uh, teams and games in, in, the, in the German league and the Spanish league as well but mm-hmm. Premier League for me stands out obviously as the top league in terms of the excitement on the pitch um, 
you know, closer to home, I, you know, I, I, we spend a lot of time with Major League Soccer and all the people up there as well. And I think uh, they're certainly one of the best leagues in the world, in my opinion, um, in some of the innovation and some of the branding and marketing and, and, and how they display the game and some of the events they run. Uh, they're light years ahead of mm. many leagues like the Premier League in, 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 in those areas. And so uh, on the digital and social uh, and the content they produce around the game is phenomenal. So uh, I think they're, they're certainly stand out. Yeah. So what is your favorite pastime when you do with those weekends with your wife? <laughs> not, not watch football. <laughs> she, uh, she's seen enough football, I'm afraid, over Imagine. the years. Yeah, she's been in, in England with me the whole time. So, you know, she's uh, she, 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 she lets me watch the Man United game. But other than that, I'm yeah. not allowed to watch football. And I've got three kids, young kids. So my pastime now really is the, is the kids, you know. And I travel. How old are they? I have a, a seven-year-old and a, a three-year-old, uh, two boys. And then a little, my daughter was born in... Um, December of last or year before last so she's uh, 13 months now and mm. so that's my pastime um, you know I uh, it's between work and the family I, you know I'm uh, trying you know trying to trying to do uh, cycling I like cycling trying mm. to try and just keep keep fit if I can swimming and cycling but um, yeah most of the time now it's the young kids taking all my free time yeah sounds <laughs> familiar um, what about what have you picked up since moving to the United States? What what American traits have you picked up? Weight, a bit of weight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't eat, walk anywhere. I, I eat out too much, and I don't walk anywhere like I used to. <laughs> I lived in central London, had no car, I had to walk everywhere. It's right. great. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know what traits I've picked up really. I mean, I love living here. Mm-hmm. I've got my citizenship now many years ago, and and. Uh, you know, so you don't we, count against we, the international slot. I don't know against <laughs> the international spot of the staff team here at the league office. I'm a, I'm a domestic player, so um, yeah, no, we we love we love it here. Uh, my firstborn was born in London. Everyone, you know, everyone's here. Born mm. in Tampa, and um, yeah, we just love the lifestyle here. We love love living over here. What keeps you up at night? Oh, stress, indigestion. I don't know mm-hmm. what keeps me up at night. Um, I think it's, for me, it's, I found last year, I'll be honest, I found last year, um, 2017, just a challenging year all around, you know, in life, not just in what we do here every day. Mm. You you get so wrapped up in what you do every day. We had some challenges in my family, and then I had uh, a very uh, intense kind of election that we all went through and experienced, and so much negativity on the news all the time, and... Mm -hmm. um, you know, some, we had some challenges in the league last year. So I thought last year was a very difficult year. Many things kept me up at night. Um, you know, this year I think is, is, is going to be always challenges, but really positive, great things are going to be happening this year. I think what keeps me up at night is just the responsibility that, and I don't put it all on my shoulders, absolutely not, but just the fact that I'm in the game here and we're making decisions and doing things that impact people and, and impact the sport, that we continue to do that in the right way. You know that we launch a team in a city, and we, and it's here to cut. It's here for a long time, and you know, and 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 I take a lot of the stuff personally because I played the game. I mean, I'm very passionate about the game. So, decisions we make, unfortunately, at league office, sometimes you got to make rulings or decisions that are not popular and it can affect a player or affect a team or affect a, you know, city. And we've had that. Yeah. We've had that. And I know it's not popular with with the fans or or, or you know at times, but. 
you know, that's that's what that's just part of the course that comes with the territory. So that you know, many things about the decisions you have to make and are just about the responsibility of stewardship of the league and the and the game mm-hmm. uh, at our level. Um, you know, and you just constantly make hoping that you, you know, you're believing in you have to believe in the decisions you make. Um, but you got to make those decisions. Someone has to make those decisions. Yeah. So you got to you got to live with that. Take the good and the bad yeah. reactions. Yeah, so it's 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 all in. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a nine to five job where you just go home and you can turn it off and forget about it. I was never that way as a player. You know, you have a good game or a bad game, it comes home with you, and you and you're you're a misery on a Sunday morning if it didn't go well. <laughs> Same with this. You know, you can't shut it off. You mm-hmm. know, because you, it's all in, and so, um, you know, so that kind of stuff. Uh, just you know, you. you you can't shut it off. It's with you all the time. So that's probably the stuff that keeps you up at night, making sure that you've made the right decisions. Makes total sense. Uh, I like the stewardship and, you know, some of the other things you've mentioned today, a lot of uh, foundation and uh, stability. Um, just your knowledge of the game has been really interesting to hear about. Any final thoughts, anything coming up in the near future for you or for the league that you'd like to talk about before we go? Uh, well, no, I think, I think you know, it's it's – it's just an amazing thing that's happened over the last few years. I think now we're getting ready for 2018 and this season. We've got six new clubs that have just joined the league this year. Uh, two of them opened at home this weekend, 10,000 in Las Vegas, 9,000 in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, great things to come in those in those cities. You know, Indy joining and, and, and North Carolina and Atlanta, you know, phenomenal fan bases in those, oh, yeah. in those uh, cities. And so going to add so much to the league. Um, Last year we had about two million, just over two million fans came to the games. You know, with these new teams coming in and the growth of the game overall, we're going to shatter that. You know, we're going to have, a, we're going to have a, uh, both in the stadiums and on the broadcast. So looking forward to that. These new teams bring with them obviously some more opportunity for the derby games, the rivalries. You know, mm-hmm. we look at uh, St. Louis, where you're from. Um, you know, the proximity. Uh, there with some of these new clubs that are coming in, uh, Indy and Nashville, uh, for example, to St. Louis. So, again, more opportunities for fans to get in the cars, get in the bus and go and watch the team on the road, you know, add to those uh, environments uh, and the intensity of those environments. So excited about that. Uh, we will be announcing some more uh, uh, national ge- national t- uh, TV games. So we're expanding the partnership now with ESPN. So there'll be a lot more. Cool. Uh, media presence. Uh, I think we've got near enough twenty or more now. Most of the teams have local TV yeah. deals, which is great. We can continue to drive uh, awareness and value there for the clubs. Uh, we'll be doing more uh, with ESPN on the national TV, and there's some cool stuff we're doing around the digital piece now. What we're going to do with the, the digital games, uh, the rest of the games on a, on a digital platform. Um, so yeah, exp- you know, we mentioned players before. Uh, quality of the players continue to go up. There's some great mm-hmm. new players coming in the league now. Uh, it gets tougher and tougher every year, and I think uh, again this year uh, you've seen some phenomenal results. I think uh, you know preseason results are never good to go by, but there's been some some good ones so far, and the teams are looking good. So I think quality on the pitch, and and I think probably the main initiative, obviously this year, uh, is getting ready for the 19 launch of Division Three, and so as we reevaluate the leagues, you know Division Two, II, Three, and our PDL, our, our professional league um, or under 23 amateur league um, there's going to be a realignment of that you know and how we sort of brand that is going to change a little bit we'll launch that this season um, uh, and then you know the launch in 19 we're preparing for the interleague cup and all those things all those announcements are coming so 18 mm-hmm. is going to be a big year on and off the pitch and then it's also a preparation year for 19 which will be a, a, a very a very big year for all of us mm-hmm. 
I'm excited, especially uh, considering I cover your league. I'm very excited for all those things to come. Uh, that's all I got. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, good. My pleasure. Anytime. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. We appreciate the downloads and the listens and the commentary. So keep that coming. And uh, all we have to do to sign off here is to say thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. That's all for this show, but we'll be back with previews starting again this week. Talk to you soon.